Welcome, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Reefer the Reefer, the podcast with your host, Little Farmer. I'd like to say thanks to all the repeat listeners out there and welcome to all the new listeners. We have a special episode today with Nikki Lawley. It's about invisible injuries. We both discuss how head injuries have uh, changed our lives and how we both turn to cannabis to relieve some of the symptoms. This episode is brought to you by the Connoisseur Collective and their March Dabness event, which is tonight, March 24th, 2023. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. Devin the Dude will be in the house, and they're having some dinners with Sam's Creations. So, last-minute tickets, you need to get to www.theconnoisseurcup.com. Let's get into the show. So everyone, welcome to the show. I have a special guest with me today. It's Nikki Lawley, and we're going to be talking about invisible injuries, including traumatic brain injuries, which you might hear to refer to as TBI and uh, CTE, which is, I can't remember the anagram, but it means you got a lot of concussions and it gives you uh, issues down the road. Uh, so something that's common with NBA or not NBA, but NFL players in general. And uh, I used to play football as a youth up through high school. It's also a problem with boxers. I had a fighter on my show not too long ago, Milwaukee L-Dog, and that's something we talked about. And uh, I, too, suffer from CTE from many, many sports. And uh, it's really hard to diagnose brain injury. CTE is something like we just talked, Nikki said, you can't diagnose it until after you're dead. Then they can go in and look at your brain. Um, I'm not going to tell Nikki's story. I'll let her tell her own story. But uh, I have suffered from many concussions in my life. It started out when I was young. Uh, I don't even remember putting the teeth through my lip here in a bicycle accident before I was five. At five or six, I fell off a a slide that was over 12 feet tall onto concrete and cracked. I don't know if I had a cracked skull. They said I didn't, but uh, it knocked me out cold. And I've always had ear injuries or ear infections ever since then. And and it still causes problems. Um, I got a list here. Uh, Playing football in youth, I know I at least got my head rung four to ten times. I can't keep count of them, but at least four times I really remember being unwary of where I was at after I got hit. Uh, Headaches, uh, tears in my eyes, and it was pretty, pretty bad. Two or three days of headaches afterwards. And then uh, after that, I almost forgot this one when I was talking or trying to make my list here. And and beforehand, I was thinking about this one. Um, I had a 10 pound ashtray fall on my head when I was sleeping on the floor one day and it woke me up and it still, it hit a nerve right on the blood vessel right here. And it still affects me today. And that was when I was 18. Uh, Then in my twenties, I had a bicycle accident where I flew over the handlebars and my front teeth broke the fall. I was at least 15 feet in the air. And uh, that one hurt for probably three or four days. And then a skiing accident where I jumped and my knees buckled and my pole jabbed me in the face, kind of like when your knee hits you in the face and when you fall down or something, or uh, I don't know if you've ever had your knee hit you in the mouth here, 
it's kind of like that, but the pole hit me right where my teeth broke my fall many years before. So it broke my septum and it hit me in the eye somehow. And that one gave me a headache for three or four days. But like you say, uh, I heard you say, you can go to the doctors. Oh, well, you got a concussion. Just go home, put some ice on it. Uh, don't fall asleep for a while. But that's all, that's all the advice you get for head injuries a lot of times. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you just a little bit from what I got from some of the uh, podcasts that I've heard you be on. You're a woman who does not want to get high, but you just want to get better. I understand that. I feel the same way. I don't really get high when I smoke, but I, and when I eat edibles, especially, I, I feel a lot better. Uh, you're a medical cannabis consumer after a head injury. Before your injury, you were well-rounded. You, you worked a lot of jobs. You're very versatile. You were pretty um, social. At some of the jobs you worked, you have to be sociable. Uh, you were smart, adaptive, worked a wide variety of jobs, you traveled, and uh, you lived a, a pretty full life compared to most and just working one job or two jobs. You traveled, you worked many jobs. That's kind of like me. I've worked at least 10 different types of jobs from video gaming to um, working in a restaurant to working in a dispensary to teaching in a high school. I was a teacher for a while, a substitute. Um, could you let the people out there know kind of what your like life was before your injuries, um, what happened and then how you got into cannabis? Sure. Thanks for having me on today, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity to share my story. Uh, invisible illness and invisible disability is a real thing. And I didn't understand it even working as a pediatric nurse. Before I was injured, I worked as a dealer, as a pediatric nurse, HVAC salesperson, business owner. I had done quite a bit of things in my short 40 plus years. And uh, I had a really full life. Everything was pretty cool. I had a married, two kids that are older and a grandchild. And I just had another grandchild um, about five weeks ago be born. So you know, a really full, robust life. And I was working just like any other day as a pediatric nurse and a child became combative for a vaccine. I had hit my head before. Uh, there were two minor uh, closed head injuries that I had had prior to this third one that changed my life forever. Um, the child became combative for a vaccine. Being a pediatric nurse, this is something we see every day. Uh, this wasn't my first rodeo. And the kid hit me in the head and I bounced into a wall and back into his head. My life changed in a literal second. I had no idea the lasting effects of it. I immediately had a severe headache. Uh, my left arm became numb and tingly. And I was very angry <laughs> at the child. I was like, luckily I didn't share any four letter words with him, mm. but um, <laughs> my mind was definitely upset. And right after it happened, a doctor from the next room came running over saying, oh my God, what was that noise? And my coworker said that was Nikki's head as it bounced into the wall. 
And he's like, oh, my God, are you okay?" I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Let's just get this over with. And so literally the child got the shot. And this wasn't like a special needs child or anything like this. This was just a regular 10 year old that was about my size that didn't want a vaccine and he wasn't going to get one. So he thought anyway, it was very dangerous. You know, it was um, I've since learned that the pediatric office I was working at really changed their policy and no longer will allow nurses to restrain children that they feel unsafe with that situation because it literally changed my life forever. Um, The amount of pain that I had following that after the injury, the physician I was working with said, you've got to go to urgent care and get checked out. I'm pretty sure you've got a concussion. And so I did, and I went to the urgent care and they said, yes, here's a note from work, take a few days off and you'll be fine. I woke up the next day with such severe pain. I thought I was having a stroke or something of that nature because it was this headache like I had never felt before. It was this pounding behind my eyes at the base of my skull. And I felt like oh my God, there's something really wrong with my head. And so immediately my primary provider said, go to the ER and get uh, an MRI and CAT scan. So I did. It was the most torturous uh, six hour wait to see a physician in the ER. And I mean, I was just in agony. And I'll never forget. They said, yeah, you've got a closed head injury. Nothing more we can do. Just go home. And I was like, no, there's got to be something. (laughs) This can't be just nothing. There's got to be something on those images. And that's what really began my um, loss of self was that visit right there. What Uh, year was that? If you don't mind me asking, what was the technology like? Has it evolved since then? Is it easier? I'm not familiar with uh, CAT scans and uh, MRIs and head injuries. I've never gone to a doctor for any of mine except for the one where I fell off a sled or the uh, the slide when my mother took me. But other than that, I've never gone to see a doctor. I've just dealt with it on my own. So it was in 2016. October 11th, 2016 was my injury at work. Seven and years. The technology has evolved, but not enough to where just because you get hit in the head, it doesn't always leave a visible note on these images. And so it's really hard to explain until it happens to you. Like explaining a brain injury to to other people, they just don't understand it because they can't see it. I look fine on the outside. You talk to me after I've medicated and I can connect all my dots. When I'm not medicated, I'm all over the place. I can't follow the storyline. I can't even share my story. It's hard to focus, isn't it? Very hard. And it's very detached. So the short-term memory, I got a couple of the listed here of some of the uh, uh, symptoms that I have and some other people with head injuries have would be short-term memory. Like I have to write it down or sometimes I'll have to interrupt and because if I don't say it, when I think it two minutes into the conversation, I'll forget it. And, and then I'll be like two hours later. Oh man, I forgot to tell her this and uh, headaches. Of course, when the wind or the temperature or barometric uh, pressure changes for sure here in Colorado, my head starts to pound. I start to get cloudy headed. Uh, some of the long-term ones are more like depression and loss of interest in all of the things you loved before. Uh, 
I used to be pretty social. Sometimes I don't like to be social. I, I'll always have something to smoke when I'm in a social situation because if not, I'm, I'm very fidgety, nervous, and uh, just not interested in BS conversations about little, little stuff that doesn't make any difference. Um, do you have some of these symptoms? And uh, you can talk, actually rewind to... Um, what your symptoms were right afterwards. And I know you had a loving husband that helped you, uh, helped you get, make the decision to try cannabis. Was cannabis the, did you ever try cannabis as a child? That's it. Cause most of my, uh, um, people I interview, they're in the industry, they'll start younger. It's good for their ADHD or just help them to focus. And it's all something with the brain. They were agitated and it calmed them. So, had I used cannabis before? Yes, but never did I believe in its medicinal properties. I mean, I thought people that had AIDS or cancer or something like that, that, okay, let them get high. I don't care. You know, it wasn't affecting me. But if you asked me as a nurse what my views were on cannabis as medicine, I immediately would have said, yeah, no, you're just getting high. And my opinion has 180 degree changed. If you would have told me your child was using cannabis for seizures from another out of state source or something like that, I would have called Child Protective Services on you. I mean, that's how I was brought up. I'm a child of the 80s. I'm a child that grew up in that just say no era, Nancy Reagan, and I'm a dare graduate. You know, I could not imagine someone giving their child cannabis to stop seizures or other issues. I just, it was beyond my realm of understanding. Had I used it socially? Yes. At the casino as a dealer, it's a very poly substance friendly environment. So anyone was drinking, using pills, using flow, uh, cannabis was available. And I liked how I felt more using cannabis despite smoking it, you know, I was raised with a mom who, you know, smoked the cigs and drank the coffee all day. And those were two smells that just like were offensive. And so now the fact that, you know, I've completely changed my position and smoking is now the way I medicate. It's rather humorous almost just to think that um, the symptoms became really debilitating shortly after I was injured, uh, the balance issues, the cognitive function issues, the anxiety, the depression, the chronic pain of my head, my neck, my back, everything just hurt. And all the doctors were saying was, you shouldn't still be having symptoms one month, two months, three months, a year, two years after my injury. And I'm like, no one wants to go back to work more than this girl. And they made me feel like I was malingering, like I was faking, like I wasn't really. Injured. You want some pills, don't you? You just want yeah. to get high off your pills that they had already started giving you and you want to get more. That's right. And and I, I was called a drug seeker. You know, I was called in my medical file, a drug seeker. And no one want just when you work as a nurse, a doctor is your immediate supervisor. You do what the doctor says. And so 
I was of that, you know, if the doctor gave me five prescriptions, you just take them, you know. This is all upstate New York and Buffalo, correct? You're in the Buffalo area at the moment. So this accident happened there and the doctors were in that area. And at the time, uh, they were definitely, that was seven years ago. There was no medical in, in New York, right? It was. There was medical in New York, but it was very limited for conditions. It had, I believe, five conditions at the time I was hurt. I discovered cannabis by accident when I was totally hopeless three months into my accident. My husband knew that I loved to go to Las Vegas and enjoy the sights, the sounds, the gambling, the whole nine yards. And I was in no shape to go on vacation four months into my injury. But out of desperation to just kind of snap me out of it, he bought this trip and we go to Vegas and I'll never forget this day as long as I live. I, it was January 24th, um, 2017. And I was ready to take my life three days into this vacation. And I was literally moving the table to jump off the balcony of the cosmopolitan hotel. And I just, I felt like a burden to my family. I felt like doctors didn't believe me. I thought like this really is in my head. At that time I was taking Cymbalta. I was taking opiates. I was taking steroids. I was on um, an antidepressant. I don't even know besides Cymbalta. I want to say Depakote. Um, There were so many drugs in my system at that point. I was not right in the head. My chemistry was messed up. And so all I thought of was how am I going to die? And so I pulled that table out on the cosmopolitan balcony and I stood at the top and I looked below and all I saw were umbrellas because we were only three stories above the pool area. So I saw those beach umbrella kind of things in the pool area. And I'm like, this isn't even, I can't even kill myself right. I'm just going to get hurt and these are going to cushion my fall. So at that same time, I was feeling even worse, right? And my husband was out walking around and I look out at the Las Vegas Strip and a billboard came driving by saying, get your medical marijuana card in Nevada today. I laughed. I was like, oh, that's cute. Let's just fry your brain on drugs some more. Long story short, I ended up actually getting my medical marijuana card, going to the first dispensary I ever had been to. I felt like I was doing something wrong the entire time. I felt like this isn't medicine. And what am I doing? I'm just going to fry my brain more. And, you know, it was surreal when I think back to that day. And I think that people need to understand when you are in a desperate situation and you literally have lost all hope of everything in your life and you feel like you've lost your kids, you've lost your husband, you've lost everything that you ever really loved and enjoyed, you're ready to die. And I was in that level of mental state and it was scary. And that billboard saved my life. That billboard gave me hope when I had none. So going to the dispensary, consuming the products, I tried gummies, I tried um, lozenges, I tried tinctures, I tried, I ate 
I'm not even kidding, six or seven hundred milligram packages of gummies because no one told me how much to take. And I mean, I just I had no idea. None. Zero. And they tasted good. So I just kept eating them. And later, now I know about dosing much more than I did then. And I know now that I lack the gene that metabolizes THC and CBD in your liver. So it's a site, it's called the cytochrome P250 gene. And that's just a real high level of saying you don't metabolize the stuff the right way. So you don't feel the effects. And, but at that time I slept for the first time in three months, four months. Um, I had not slept. Yeah, whole- insomnia is another issue, which just compounds all the other issues because you can't oh, get yeah. your mental mental rest, which is very important. I took a nap today because I know in the evenings I start to get uh, my ADHD gets worse and my head um, I'm not as focused. So I I learned to take a siesta. I lived in Spain for over twelve years, and I had to take a siesta, and because uh, I would get up early, work hard, take a three hour nap. It's not a nap really it's siesta because it's three hours and then get up and do the repeat in the afternoon or in the evening and then have a big dinner and go to bed there you go i um you know that so when i came back to new york state i expected to be able to get medical marijuana like i did in nevada in new york and at that time it was not one of the approved conditions what uh, what were the approved conditions at the time so other states can hear and like hey we need to get pain chronic pain on there because mine's for uh ibs that's what i got my card for but that I've was never really the only be- thing that was the only thing that I could have potentially qualified for was IBS. Other than that, it was wasting. That's debilitating too. Stage four cancer, um, wasting syndrome. There were just five conditions that were so significant. And IBS was one that like was the only one that I could even sort of qualify for, even though I didn't really have IBS. I could, I was thinking I could go tell a doctor I had it, but again, I didn't want to lie, you know? And so then Mm -hmm. when I told doctors, so I was part of the workers' compensation system in New York because I was injured at work. And so the physicians that are there are literally incentivized to get you back to work as fast as possible. Not if you're better, but as fast as possible. So when these doctors, I would tell them about my experience in Nevada that you know, I smoked a joint from the dispensary in Nevada and I was able to leave the hotel room for the first time of that whole vacation. Oh, I we can't able- talk to you about that. I'm probably sure they said. We, we're oh, not, we can- absolutely. They said that's illegal. If you're smoking THC, that's not medicinal. And you're a drug seeker and you're using something illegally. And honestly, Michael, I didn't understand that medical cannabis and the guy down the street's cannabis, they're the same plant. (laughs) They're just grown by different people. In my mind, medical cannabis was like the difference between over-the-counter cannabis and prescription cannabis. I didn't... It's the same stuff. It's it's exactly the stuff, but there is some uh, medical, there's a little more care a lot of times. Should be. um, Sometimes uh, it depends on the state. It's all being um regulated differently in different states and new states are 
I try to, one thing I'm trying to do the podcast with the new states who are regulating or trying to make their regulations and rules that they, the people know what to expect and what to look out for, what to avoid, what to, what to, um, ask for. So, uh, more reasons to be able to get your medical card. Like in New York, they only have five. Let's make it for anxiety. I think in, in, um, California, it's, if you're stressed, if job well, stresses you, know, it relieves your stress. We now have any condition that a doctor prescribes is safe for cannabis. That just happened in 2021. Chronic pain was added to our uh, formulary, if you will, of qualifying conditions uh, back in 2018. Uh, so in May of 2018, I did get my New York State medical card. And then I began realizing the products that were in New York state were nothing like what was in Nevada. We had like so few products. New York and Minnesota were really on the same page of regulations as far as what was allowed percentage wise of THC, CBD and how they rated it. When I was at my lowest point, so January of 2017, I discovered the plant, came home to New York, got all hopeless again, got prescribed more drugs again. At one point, I was taking 16 different pills. Mm. And of those pills, each one had more of a side effect. And so what did the doctors do? Give me another pill for those side effects. And by the time it was said and done, I'm now taking one antidepressant and a thyroid pill. You know, that's it now. And the cost on that must have been insane. I didn't pay for it because. Okay. Yeah. Workers comp, but still it probably even costs more for the insurance company. Cause I know whenever insurance oh, yeah. companies paying for it, the doctor, Oh, okay. Well, oh, 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 cause when I didn't have insurance, Oh, you don't have insurance. Well, we don't have to charge you for this and we don't have to charge you for this. And, uh, to, and it's, I know the trick. My sister's a, a pediatrician actually. And, uh, we've had conversations about it. And then there's some, Doctors out there that will most definitely do that and take advantage of the system to uh, fatten their wallets. A hundred percent. And I didn't understand that as a nurse, you know what I mean? And why weren't we talking about more holistic approaches to my brain injury when I was hopeless, instead of talking about my diet, instead of talking about, you know, massage therapy or, you know, cognitive therapy, Instead, we're just giving me pills, more pills, more pills, more pills, new treatments, new this, new that. I don't really go to the doctor too often. It's not that I don't trust the doctors. I know a lot of doctors have great intentions, but they're stuck in a system that I don't trust. Right, right. And so I actually posted in 2018 a very hopeless post on social media on Facebook at the time that was like, I finally found something that might have worked for my brain injury symptoms. And now I'm told that it really wasn't effective. And, you know, I'm just a drug seeker and I've like pretty much lost all faith in the medical system and I have no hope and blah, blah, blah. Someone from Canada reached out to me and said, we'll get our medical card here. Why don't you come up here and try our pot? We've got pot up here. And I live in Buffalo, New York, which is very close to the Canadian border. So going to Toronto is like an hour and a half for me. It's not a big, huge commute. I ended up becoming a medical cannabis refugee in Canada because I literally found relief for the first time from my TBI symptoms. And 
it was incredible the amount of knowledge they had in Canada. Like mm -hmm. I learned about the plant in a way that had never been explained to me. I learned we had a system in our body called the endocannabinoid system or ECS. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was blown away. I was like, I don't know what you're smoking, man, but we don't got a system in our body like that. Like I would have learned about it that. It connects all of our other systems and in its central nervous system and brain, it's the, that's what CBD, CBD doesn't do a bunch of things. It just does one thing and it affects your central nervous system and it's your brain and your endocannabinoid system. But that touches on everything in your body. It does. It's your homeostasis. It's your balance. And when I heard that, it just was like, yeah, no, I don't think so. But then I started hearing it more often and I started hearing more people talk about it. And then I started going to events in Canada and it started opening my eyes to a whole world I had no idea even existed. So my friends got, you know, a couple different strains from the uh, licensed producer they had. I mean, in Canada, I'd like to I'd like to specify strains too. So I heard you mention a strain that you really like, but you can't get it. And that's going to lead me into something later because I'm a caregiver and caregivers instead of dispensaries can keep these strains that the people they help alive so that they can always get it. You know what I mean? And then if you're, I know you, I heard you talk about it in the dispensary later. I'll, I'll, I'll let you continue. You went to Canada and you had four strains. <laughs> do you remember the strains? The ones that I helped do. you? Okay, cool. Well, well, Royal Purple Kush did not help me. I no. like comatose. I was like. See, so that one helped me. I love that one. I lived in Quebec and I've been to Toronto for probably four <laughs> months of my life because I was in Spain for 12 years and uh, it, I could only find hash and it really wasn't satisfying me. And I started growing in Spain. I got pulled over with a quarter pound of weed one time by the Spanish National Police, scared the living shit out of me. I got out of it. Uh, I had to sit on the side of the road. They searched my car. I was so lucky. And uh, I diverted them at the last second when they were going to look for my in the area I was at. And I, I asked him a question and he turned around and he started saying something in English and I made a joke and then he stopped searching in that area. So I, I, I might have diverted him from me going to jail. <laughs> but right. uh, Axe. after so, that, we moved to Canada and the Royal Purple Kush helped me a lot. I loved it. It smelled like a skunk and it was great. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> but cheese, original cheese by Can Trust was a game changer for me. Cheese, okay. Uh, it was a true cheese hybrid. It was actually more like UK cheese. It's a very popular one in the UK. Uh, the cheese yeah. is uh, a UK yeah. staple. Yeah. <laughs> it was like an equal uh, mixture of, it was almost like a one-to-one -one with THC and CBD. Mm -hmm. And it was so effective. My husband, I'll never forget, he called me while I was in Canada. I was playing Scrabble. I was doing basic math. These are things that I could not have done the day before without the medicine. And when you realize that your entire existence, can we put this on pause? Yes, so one second. <laughs> We're good. So In the UK cheese, right? The UK cheese was very effective. And I was playing Scrabble and my husband's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? He said, you sound normal. You sound normal for the first time in two plus years. 
and like and your speech pattern, correct? Like your correct. enthusiasm or your, like your, your own foot's back. You were you again, almost. Almost. But yeah, it was insane that effect. And so that's when I started to realize that different strains had different effects. And I didn't understand at first what I was looking for. So I started to journal the experience. There was an app called Strain Print in Canada that helped me log the experience. So I could say, I treat currently and back then, but I, now I can articulate it much better, my chronic pain of my head and neck, my anxiety, depression, and my cognitive function or brain fog. That's what I use cannabis for medicinally. And so when I started journaling the experience in this app, it started to build a history. And I could tell you, based on terpene profiles, what really worked and why. And so I literally consumed cannabis based on the COAs or certificates of analysis or lab testing reports rather than by a strain name, because this is how I kind of learned what worked. I've learned that strains high in limonene, pinene really are effective for me for my cognitive function, but strains that are too high in pinene without something to offset them, such as beta carefalling or another terpene, it's not as effective and it actually increases anxiety. So it's like, mm. it's like sort of a whole experiment that you've got to be willing to try, you know, and it's mm -hmm. not a one size fits all. What works for me might not work for you. Even though we may have brain injuries, even though we may have similar symptoms, we have different endocannabinoid systems. So sharing that and letting people know it's okay to try different forms of consumption because the bio bioavailability is different. When you smoke, it's rapid onset. You will know pretty much within 15 minutes if that strain is effective for you. Whereas if you eat a gummy, that has to go through your whole first pass digestive system and be metabolized and broken down in your liver. And many times you won't feel the effects for a couple hours and people don't understand that. And then sometimes if you eat a really fatty meal, when you consume your cannabis, that too, uh, that binds to the receptors and you can go down like a, a green out situation where you're too high and your body is saying, mm -hmm. get that out of me, almost like being too drunk, you know, I mean, yeah, too much. It's not good. Especially with drinking. I'm not uh, knocking anybody who drinks on a casual level and they can consume a couple of drinks and that's it. And they're fine. But there's a lot of people that can't control their alcohol. I was one who couldn't control how much I drank. I didn't get violent, but I would just keep drinking. And I think there's something with my brain injury maybe, or my genetics and my weight. Cause I'm thin. We metabolize alcohol faster than most people would think. So thin people can drink more. I just drank a lot and it didn't really get me drunk, but it, it really wore my body down. It wasn't good for it. And I consumed a lot of cannabis at the time. And I think that really regenerated my body after all the hangovers. And it really helped. I've heard this a lot and it really helped with the headaches. It does for sure. And when I have the right cannabinoids and terpenes, my life is phenomenal. I just, the problem with smoking is it only lasts so long. Mm -hmm. And so as quick as it onsets, it also dissipates. So within two hours, 
I'm no longer medicated. So I tend to microdose throughout the day, meaning a small amount of a joint several times a day rather than one big joint at the end of the day or the do you prefer joints to bowls and bones i do and i I, it's sort of i actually when i go to dispensaries now i go for pre-rolls and a lot of people do especially because it's a lot easier i don't prefer them but that's just easier when i'm at home because i know a lot of people don't like to smoke when i'm with my family uh, I grew up, my mom and dad were 100% against it. They were teachers. Uh, I had some older sisters, luckily, who kind of mediated between me and my parents and like, don't worry too much. He's only smoking weed. We'll kind of watch out for him. He's not right. doing hard drugs. He's not on pills. He's not doing heroin or cocaine or a lot of other stuff. Um, yeah. So now they're open to it now. They're, but I, I do respect to try not to reek up their house i'll smoke outside and but uh, right. i'll take little bong hits or bowl hits because it's easier just to, like you said microdose gonna take two bowl hits and hide it from the nephew so they're not questioning everything you know yeah it's a thing and the stigma surrounding smoking cannabis is a thing and that's why someone who looks like me does not exactly look like the quote cannabis consumer traditionally but i'm trying to change that you know and say it's okay to have a bong rip it's okay to have a joint you know there's nothing wrong with it and yet it's been stigmatized and demonized for so long that people need to see it in action to really respect it and to believe it you know i was told never smoke on a podcast because that just will make you look gross and i'm like but that's how i medicate that's how i do it i mean i don't want to miss lead anyone and say oh i just take a little tincture here and there and i'm fine no i have to smoke i have to stink i mean but there are other options out there some people have the opposite effect of you with the tinctures they just need a little bit and they can sleep like a baby one of my favorite stories is my my friend lives in virginia he he lived in colorado a long time ago with me we've always smoked we had college together and we were drinking buddies pool partners uh then uh his mom hadn't slept in probably six years and he got his med card in virginia and he got her some cbd tinctures it was uh 1000 milligrams of cbd maybe like 10 milligrams of thc just enough to activate him because that does have a synergistic effect but it doesn't get her high but she takes them and she will sleep like a baby and she wakes up with more energy and she's uh, happier and she, now she's like I'm on the weed guys I'm on the weed and she goes and tells her her uh, elderly friends and uh, the word is getting around there's other ways to consume besides um, smoking Absolutely. which does work for a lot of people I've, uh, I make my own tinctures here I like the tinctures um, they really do help especially when I had COVID the, the brain fog was 10 times worse for me I ended up getting fatigue. I think the tinctures actually help oxygen get to my muscles when uh, I was having problems with stiff muscles because I lived at 10,500 feet and the altitude and the oxygen was low. So it was really hard to get oxygen with COVID. And uh, the first round I worked at a dispensary and we were all getting free samples because we had a new owner and they were bringing all, all the new companies were like, oh, new owner. And they were bringing in samples. Yeah, you got to get our product onto the market. So they were bringing samples and all the bud tenders would get a chance to sample them and give their feedback. 
but they never got educated though. That's the thing, but they never got educated a lot of times. Sometimes they're, I've seen, uh, companies come in and try to educate the butt tenders on the product so they can educate the consumer about it. But once it went recreational, nobody really cared about that. It's all about just, uh, sell them, sell them as much as you can. Uh, they're from Texas, sell them Willie Nelson. We just mentioned Willie Nelson, they'll buy an eighth, you know, upsell, upsell. That's it. And uh, that's sad, you know, I mean, it's sad that it's become so commoditized, but yet at the same time, the more products we have access to as medical patients, the more diverse the market becomes. It's so, harder to navigate them though. So too, the, the, what we're trying to do and what you're saying, smoke these strains, trying them out if you have this problem. Um, these strains are really hard to keep though in stock. If you're working in a, as a bud tender or as a grower, you know that these strains can get lost and people are like, how can you lose a strain? Because you can say a strain like UK cheese, but the UK cheese grown in UK and then they'll get seeds and send them over to Canada and it'll be the same seeds from them. But that'll be like, it's like a mother and daughter. They're, you're going to have two different phenotypes and they're going to have two different mixtures of terpenes and cannabinoids. They'll be very similar, but not that one. That, so, right. so it comes down when you hear a strain, there's one mother strain that's very infamous like cookies and somebody paid a thousand dollars for this strain and then you get a clone of the strain it's going to be the same thing but then then there's a bunch of seeds and everybody says they have this cookies plant because it comes from the seeds it's not going to be just like that one mother they're very unique they're one in a million or even even bigger odds than that you're right. You're so right. And it depends so much how it's grown. So like if you're growing outside, if you're growing inside, if you're doing LED lights versus metal halide and high pressure sodium, you know, there's a whole different thing, the medium you're using. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I shop by certificate of analysis. And do you go outdoors or indoors. Do you have a preference? Honest to gosh, no. Uh, it depends on, you know, the terp profile. I want to go more outdoors if possible, but uh, prohibition has moved everything indoors. So I don't know much about outdoors compared to the indoors. Um, the Canadians, thank you, Canadians. Uh, I learned a lot from a Rick Simpson. That was one of the first things I ever learned was Rick Simpson oil. And he's a Canadian. Um, I know they do a lot of research in Canada on and Israel on cannabis and uh, it's a government thing. So there's been tons and tons and tons of research done on cannabis. And here we're still stalling politically. It's like, Oh, we can do more research. Why can't we share research with other countries that we already share other pharmaceutical drugs? Yeah. We, <laughs> do we say, share the same part of pharmaceutical drugs that we have a different system. I lived in Canada, like I said, for, for a part of three and a half years in Quebec. And it's a, little different than the rest of Canada, but it still has the different healthcare system. And it's different than Spain too. I like the Spanish healthcare system a little bit better personally, but uh, they're very slow on cannabis where I lived in Spain and other parts, they're a little bit more advanced. They just had a huge convention, Spanibus in mm -hmm. Spain. And I wanted to go to that so bad. I just, you know, when you're an advocate, you don't really, uh, get compensated necessarily yeah. sponsored as easily as you did if you're a salesperson or something like that. And I educate people on the whole plant and I try and 
you know, share my experience to share that educational level. And what, again, what my stuff, what works for me might not work for other people. And so I'm not here to give anyone medical advice. I'm just mm-hmm. saying do your own homework, be your own advocate. And that's what I had to do navigate this whole invisible illness disability thing you know uh i looked fine and doctors just said you know oh she's smiling today so she can go back to work no i don't think you want me handling your child when i can't count to 20. i don't think you want me being responsible for calling in medications when i can't do basic math i don't think you want me you know trying to resuscitate your child if i can't count breaths per minute and beats of the heart you know i mean that's a big thing and these doctors in the workers compensation system just cared about getting me back to work like i said no one wanted to go back to work more than this girl and when i had exhausted all the different pharmaceutical approaches in 2018 so two years later I had started going out of network and started doing my own advocacy, trying to understand what is wrong with my brain. Why can I not do math? What is the problem? Why can I not regulate my emotions? Why can I not, you know, why do I have a headache still? Hormonally, do you think? Was it like, because I know hormones control a lot of that, especially with the, um, with the anxiety and the depression and uh, it's just, It wasn't hormonal, it was cervical instability. So my neck got injured significantly when I got hit. And so the blood does not flow to certain areas Mm. in my brain. The cerebral spinal fluid doesn't go through my brain the way it does other people. Maybe that's something that happens to my my neck cracks all the time ever since high school football and before just and hitting and getting your head knocked around. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much have a bobblehead. Like, I mean, my head is heavy all the time. You know, I always, I almost feel like I have to go like this sometimes to relieve the pressure at the base of my skull. I get debilitating pain right in the back sometimes, just uh, lifting my arm up, especially in the morning. Like, I'll pick up a cup of coffee or a pot of coffee, and it'll give me knife stabbing pains right in the back of my neck here, and I'll, I'm on my knees in tears for about 20 minutes and then I can get up and it's like it never happened except for like a long burning sting. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's hard to explain that to people and doctors can't see the pain. So they just give you drugs based on their understanding of pain that is based on a textbook. And everybody feels pain differently too. My, my way of feeling pain. I grew up, my mother and the doctor because I would have these inflamed ear infections as a baby and I would stop sucking on my bottle, but I wouldn't cry. I never cried when I had ear. He was like, this is a tough little baby. You must not feel pain or something. I do feel pain, but not the same as other people. I don't react to it. I guess the same. I'll get hit and I used to play football or have an accident and I wouldn't even notice that I was bleeding or had a huge bruise until the next two days. And then I'm like, why is my leg all red? And why is it, why am I limping now? And right. so uh, people process pain in different ways. Lingering Absolutely. pain is a lot different than chronic pain, pain is, that just happened. Yeah. And like, you get your teeth knocked out. Like I have them by, by root. I swear I was 12 feet in the air on a bike and my teeth broke my fall besides 
give me whiplash and that I had a mini tiny bruise on my shoulder. And after flying 12 feet in the air, the people thought I was going to be dead. They come running over to me and I walked over and said, all right, take me home. <laughs> they were, I thought you were dead, man. There's no way. Cause we didn't have helmets at that time either. I mean, it was back in the nineties. Right. Right. It, everything has evolved, you know, so differently now and how we treated babies, for instance, you know, I mentioned my daughter just had a baby and, you know, like one of the things, everything is different now than it was even when I was a nurse. Like they have to sleep on their back. They can't sleep on their stomach. They can't sleep in a swing or in a car seat. They have to be on a totally flat surface, like things that we never even thought of, you know, and now there's so many warnings on everything because everybody's so paranoid about getting sued. And so everyone is afraid mm -hmm. of like, that's a big thing with insurance, with events, like they don't even bat an eye for an alcohol tent. But if you say you're going to have consumption of cannabis without alcohol, even that's a huge, big thing. You know, I mean, at least it's becoming more normal in Denver and California and certain states, but you know, it's still a big hassle to get insurance coverage for events. And things even like here that. in Colorado, we're not guaranteed that we can keep our job with a medical card and wow. people still, like I heard you say you had to carry a uh, fake urine around <laughs> while you were at work in case they, Hey, gave you a pop, uh, your analysis in the middle of work or something, you know, I, I still have somebody I care for here as a caregiver who has to do that too. They have their fake urine in their purse in case they get called up for the urinalysis. And it's all about the temperature. The purse won't do it. <laughs> yeah. She, but they have to, they'll give it to her and she has to go to another laboratory. It, oh, okay. She has a drive and she stops and uh, warms it up and okay, has okay. a little thermometer on the side. And she, I, okay, okay. She's well seasoned. She's in her sixties. Uh, she's, she's had to deal with this her whole life. Um, wow. uh, just dealing some, as somebody like myself, I've been, I started gradually at uh, 17, 16, my first time I really felt it and it slowed my brain down. And I was thinking normally, as I think people think normal, I don't know. Um, and uh, consumed it through college. It's one of the reasons I went to college where I went, because I knew that I had a connection there already and I could get it. And uh, we didn't have too many names at the time for what we got. We just got what we got. Sometimes it helped more than others, but it was very, um, it made me paranoid. It can make you paranoid and it has a bad stigma. So it kept me from socializing as much as I wanted to, but I always went to parties. I always had some herb and, uh, always wherever I always lived, it was always illegal. I'm trying to read my notes here, but I'm not too good at it. Uh, and I had to hide the consumption. It kept me away from the family. Uh, it did affect many relationships and makes you paranoid. And uh, I never wanted to do pills. I never did pills in my life, uh, except for ibuprofen. And ibuprofen, too, can really do damage to your stomach. And uh, my father was in the same boat. He was a referee and his knees were hurting him. So he'd take a couple ibuprofen before the game, after the game, he would be okay and eat something, but ibuprofen without food, like he was taking it, just destroyed his stomach and had ulcers. And, uh, I did the same in high school. 
So it destroyed my stomach when I was in high school. That's what I used for pain in, in high school, playing football and sports. And I was a pole vaulter and it really screwed my shoulder up and pulling it back all the time. And that with the cervical neck and hitting with football and everything, it really has screwed up my neck in a good way. Um, so I relied on alcohol a lot. And I know a lot of other people rely on alcohol too. And uh, head injuries and alcohol do not mix. And head injuries and other pills do not mix. And right. I know a lot of people have mixed those. And then it just makes those suicidal thoughts even worse. Because alcohol is a very depressing drug. And it's not for everybody. It just changes some people. Some people aren't the same after one drink. They become totally different people. Some become become angry. Some become Lucy. Some, uh, become, um, just really happy and then crash boom. And they're sad. And I've seen that happen many times. Um, my ex was from Peru. So my daughter is half South American, uh, native. And i talked to her grandparents and it's destroyed cultures. They talk about how it's destroyed cultures in the native American world. And uh, that was one reason I really quit. And I came back to Colorado and when they legalized, but then I got hurt and had to go back to West Virginia because I couldn't walk or work. I had hurt my foot and I went to the doctor to have them check my foot out. And I told them, I don't want any pills, please. I want some kind of rehabilitation, uh, some kind of acupuncture. And first thing here, take these gabapentin. And uh, I was, I'm not going to take the gabapentin. I just told you I don't want pills. And, uh, and well, don't worry. They're not on the addictive list. They're they're not addictive. And well, lo and behold, what, four years later, they become la- newest addition to the addictive list of pharmaceutical drugs that the companies have said they weren't addictive, but they were like Oxycontin many years before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had a lot of friends hooked on pills at young ages at, in grade school or not grade school, but a uh, middle school and high school and alcohol. It was so easy to get. And one of the biggest issues that politicians will bring up whenever it does come to, to light into a conversation is that children are going to get access to, to, to cannabis and has, have, being in Canada, did you notice there, what is, what's happened in Canada with children? Did, is there a big influx of kids hanging out on the corner, smoking joints? No, no. In Canada, especially, there's so many requirements about access, safe access for Canadians. And no, in Canada, definitely, I don't notice. I don't have the statistics or anything like yeah. that. But, but in states that have legalized cannabis, there is proof that there's no increase or uptick of cannabis consumers of high schoolers or underage mm-hmm. actually i've seen where it's gone down that's it's actually gone down, as well as narcotic prescriptions as well as alcohol use as well as so there's you know anybody can do a study and one of the things like national institutes of health okay they're looking for the harms of drugs mm-hmm. and so their study is really jaded 
to show the harm of the drug, not the benefit of the drug. The That's one that was got my father. My father's like, oh, you're in Colorado. Make sure that you watch out. There's going to be more car accidents because of people smoking weed and driving. And they had they showed statistics how the percentage or or no, not the percentage, the number of car accidents since legalization in Colorado has risen. And uh and I looked at it and I heard it from the other perspective The yes, it has the car accident numbers have increased significantly, but so has the population, population. and through percentage wise, it's actually right. decreased. And how many, how many years has the department of transportation tried to uh, reduce casualties on the highways with uh, drinking and driving seat belts and all these different types of commercial test belt dummies, boom, and you know, they spent millions and lo and behold, smoking weed will bring down the amount of deaths on the, on the highway. That's what the statistics are showing, but they won't but show I mean, it that way. And we have to recognize that not everybody gets high. People get medicated. So just because you're prescribed Oxycontin for your chronic pain and I'm prescribed cannabis for my chronic pain, I use cannabis, you take your Oxycontin, we're chronic pain patients. So that really doesn't increase our impairment, even though if I were to take an Oxycontin, you know, having not done it before, you probably wouldn't want me behind a wheel. Same as cannabis, yeah. like the newbie should not be driving or operating heavy machinery after consuming until they figure out what is working in their body. When mm -hmm. you combine substances, it's definitely a bigger problem than just isolating one substance. So a lot of the moms against drunk driving, things like that, they're freaked out about cannabis. And again, we're trying to lump it into the alcohol pile or trying to lump mm -hmm. it into the heroin pile because that's the scheduled drug that it is, and it's absolutely wrong. And until it gets rescheduled or descheduled, it's going to be an uphill battle no matter who you talk to. You know, it's really difficult to get this law passed or recognized because, you know, they talked about it in Switzerland recently or Austria, Switzerland, Austria, something like that. They had the National Institute of Narcotics or drug use. Um, and they were talking about how North America going with cannabis is violating the 1961 policy of narcotic drugs. And it's like, it's not, we're a not narcotic. 1961 <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. And it isn't a narcotic and yet it's treated worse than a narcotic. And we've got to do better. People have to do their own research and they have to learn as much as they can about the condition that they're treating and look at alternative therapies. Every doctor is not your friend. Every doctor, just because they have a DR ahead of their name or an MD after their name is not the most knowledgeable of your health. As the healthcare system evolves, doctors are paid on the amount of patients they see. So, you might have sometimes they get kickbacks on what they prescribe too in certain countries. When I got went to Peru, it seemed like the uh, pharmaceutical company representatives were like vultures there. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a, I got, I went to Lima and 
I got, I wasn't smoking. I would, it was one of the longest breaks I've taken from smoking in a while. I couldn't get access. As soon as I got there, I had a line on some and I read the paper right after I got there and heard that there was a 20 pound bust or something. And that affected the hookup I had lined up. And then it fell through the contaminations in the air, got into my lungs and I got pneumonia basically. And, uh, I could not get better down there. And the mm. only thing that made me better was cannabis. I had basically went to the mountains where the air was clean at 13,000 feet and I couldn't breathe because it was a cold night and the fires and the hot days. Um, I couldn't breathe. So I had to come back to America and the vultures down there had me on steroids, the inhaler, 20 different other things. I ended up getting shots. I passed out at the hospital and, uh, I, I could not get better no matter what. I just felt like crap. So I came home and luckily I had a line on a good ounce of herb and I just smoked on it for three days and I was better. I, all of it came up, all of it came out and I, I felt better. It really cleans my lungs out. People will say the smoke is bad for you, but during COVID too, somehow they uh, proved that it coats the inner of your lining, uh, inner lining of your lungs, and helps to keep the COVID Elastic. from attaching yeah. the virus or to attach to your lungs and to dwell there and and cultivate and and get stronger. So I think it helped a lot of people in Colorado with COVID consuming and the edibles. I know one time I had the fatigue. I had fatigue for a whole year, and I, I was one of the long haul symptoms uh, survivors. <laughs> I didn't even know I had COVID at first. And then two weeks after I had it, I was in bed and mm. I didn't get up for six months. Basically it felt like oh. I couldn't get back to work. Um, I ended up having to move to Denver to get another apartment where the altitude was half as high and I could get more oxygen. And it really, really did help. It was a lot. It was an oxygen issue. Hmm. Wow. I believe. And yeah. uh, the cannabis really helped. And uh, helped so many things. And they did it, some research on that in Canada too, and we could share nationally research. Yeah, with I mean Israel too. We I know uh, America. It's a uh, it's another place that we we have good relations with them. Why can't we share information like that? Right, for sure. And let me double check in my notes here, make sure I didn't forget something. Um, so. Some of the strains that you prefer. Have you ever had a strain that didn't hit you right? They made you even worse. Like I get, um, I used to get a little antsy if I smoked a, a, a high limonene strain. I find strains high in myrcene are too sedating for me. They don't, unless I'm planning on going to bed. Uh, so I stay away from those. Um, Alaskan Thunderfuck. Actually, I've sampled probably nine different times and I've never had a positive experience from it. It's, That's one that just doesn't it, hit you, right? It gives me a bigger headache. It um, makes me more fidgety. It, it just, it doesn't affect me correctly. And again, you can't say that with every strain because it depends on the conditions it was grown on, as we touched on earlier, mm. and where it was grown and how it was grown. One of the big things is what pesticides were put on it. And if it was sprayed with anything, if it has contaminants, and that's a good thing with legal weed too. You get it tested. Um, it just, you can, uh, 
on a high level, they can use these testings to manipulate the systems in ways too. They can. And especially when you have states that are focused on high THC tax, like the higher the THC, the more the tax they charge, which is ludicrous. I mean, the medicine isn't just THC or just CBD. It's the whole synergistic effect of all the cannabinoids and all the terpenes and flavonoids and everything the working. Terpenes are the biggest influence. Like you said, uh, if you get the analysis of what terpene profile is in the strain, it really helps you more if you can understand those. So people are moving yeah. away from indica and sativa for sure. Oh, indica sativa means nothing. And it just, it frustrates me because that's what they all talk about. That's to me, just lazy marketing. Um, everything is pretty much a hybrid. It's, it's all cross-pollinated and to have a true sativa or a true indica it's just how the plant is shaped its leaves are shaped it's not necessarily about the effects it produces it's the terpenes of where it's produced and you know for me myrcene makes me tired for you maybe it helps control your pain and it doesn't affect you in the sleepy category it's good for adhd it calms down people with adhd right and And there's a wide mixture so if you get a little myrcene mixed with a little beta caryophylline and then you get it mixed with something else it gives it a different fruity flavor um the mixtures and quantities do make a big difference too myrcene is the number one terpene i believe in in cannabis so you almost always see it in there but it's the percentage so you're not really going to find a strain that doesn't have any myrcene in it it, there's always some in there, I believe. That and beta caryophylline, um, humulene is usually in there with the caryophylline, but that's a good narcotic one. It's good for pain also. The yeah. limonene is more of an energetic one. So I'm already energetic. I don't really need the energizing, but other people, they're completely different. Well, my roommate loves it. Mm-hmm. And he's had probably 14 surgeries. He's had the neck fusion and he's had... And he he's uh, immune to opiates, so he can't take opiates. Hmm. So in Colorado, do they have to put on the labels the terpenes and minor cannabinoids or no? I don't believe so, but uh, some of them do. Like the better better companies do, the medical ones do. It's um, like Nevada are- has the best labeling ever. Nevada, I find, is the very best with. You know, they have the three minor cannabinoids, they have the three terpenes. And to me, that every state should do that for their medical patients. I just feel one like- thing I'm afraid that recreational is kind of taken out of the market here in Colorado. I came to Colorado thinking, yeah, medical, I'm going to go on the medical side and I'm going to find better cannabis than I will on the recreational side. But it's the opposite. By the time I came here, medical was around for so long, recreational is coming in and big interest is taking over the recreational a little bit more and the state makes more tax money because they get 8% off of the medical and they get up to 25% on the, uh, on the recreational. So do the math. What do you think they want and what are they pushing for? Yeah. Yeah. So um, equalizing the tax on that might make a difference from that perspective. For sure. For sure. I mean, And cannabis is so expensive. 
in so many ways. Like Maine is doing it probably the best. They have a very open market in Maine. Uh Um, I think it's a low cost barrier to entry. And I think that they really do care about medical patients and they are doing all they can to make their program successful and not be swallowed up by the rec market. I uh, I have to go back and listen to the name, but um, I had uh, another guest on here previously. The last guest I had on was Mike Bizio. He's from an area called Area 420 in, in Colorado. And it's the highest concentration of cannabis growers. And mm-hmm. it's a, in North America or in the world probably, but it's, it's in a u- very unique place. And um, he talked to a lady who's putting in a bill to allow social equity growers to um or say two ideas one's from virgin islands where they're given micro licenses for up to 50 plants to the locals in virgin islands because he's kind of helping coordinate their legalities as they're rolling out and then the other one is allowing social equity licenses here to go straight to the consumer and bypassing the dispensary farmer's market style. And I know Canada or not Canada, but Maine was something like that or Vermont with with milk. You can go straight to the farm, get your milk without having to go to the grocery store type deal. Also would be a good idea. Um, I want to remember her name and see what the um, bill is she's putting out and then see if other, other States can get that bill and try to see if they can copy it and get it in their state. Right. Right. Um, it's, it makes sense. Me as a home grower, I, I home grow and I am a, a caregiver. Oh. I, I want to promote caregivership. That's something else that you can do in, in uh, New York. If you can find somebody that can grow for you and tell them what you like and they can get that and they can always keep it there. And then you just help them with their budgets. And uh, that's something that was here. And they're trying to the big entities are trying to cut out, too, because that cuts into their profit. Right. Oh, well, let's so make the medical patients are- come by from the recreational and run them dry, just like the pharmaceutical companies are. And that's why a lot of people go to cannabis because they don't like the pharmaceutical companies and the way they work. Now the same stuff could happen in cannabis if we don't watch what, what they're doing. Like our caregiver program, it doesn't matter if you're a medical patient or a caregiver. Um, you can have up to two medical patients in a household like even if you have 10 people in your house, only mm-hmm. two can be considered for the home grow regs. You can grow a total of 12 plants max, even if you're a caregiver. So if the guy down the street is growing his own medicine for himself and his wife needs medicine too, they're not going to want to be a caregiver. You can be a caregiver for up to four patients, but you can't increase your plant ratio. No, that so makes sense. How does that work? And then there's probably... Because indoor, it's hard to grow unless you're very experienced to grow a large quantity yes. with, with that many plants. You can do it outdoors easily, but I don't know. A lot of them will actually control how much you can grow. And if your plants are too big outdoors, then they'll come and get you for you got too much. And they right. tried to regulate it, too. So, um, Well, New York State is cool because you can have three ounces on your person and you can have up to five pounds at home. So that's very generous. That's not too bad. Generous of states that I know of. Um, Also. But you're not going to, that's hard to grow that many pounds on that many plants. Oh yeah. So you're going to have to source it illegally somehow, worse off somebody else. 
Right. Numbers just don't make sense. No, they don't. But it's because so many arrests happened in New York to especially the black and brown communities um, and simple possession charges. You know, Mm -hmm. they'd go to jail for a joint. You know, the search and frisk era under Bloomberg was a disaster. Did you ever have any uh, scares trying to cross the border to Canada? Because I know if you uh, were ever arrested for a joint or even arrested for a DUI in the United States and the Canadian Border Patrol knew it, they wouldn't allow you to enter and vice versa. Correct. Correct. So uh, I did have one incident going into Canada. I had medicated probably two hours before I crossed into Canada and they smelled it in my car. I got pulled over for secondary inspection and I knew I would not, I mean, why would I go to Canada with pot? Like, because I couldn't bring cannabis home with me, mm-hmm. but why would I go there? It would be like taking my own sandwich to a buffet. It made no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dog comes along and I'd never really dealt with drug dogs. And uh, he's smelling me, smelling around the outside of my car. He's smelling inside the car. And when the dog's wagging his tail, that's great. As soon as that son of a bitch sits down and stops wagging his tail, you're you're screwed. So (laughs) that dog stopped wagging his tail on my driver's seat. And I'm like, but I didn't know, you know, I was like, there's no way there's any weed in my car. I smoked it and I threw it out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's no residue. Yeah. No. Crumbs. What it was, was a joint that had come from Canada. It was, they call them toonie joints, $2 joints. Oh, that yeah. have like less Toonies. than a gram of <laughs> cannabis, less than half a gram of cannabis in it. And that joint had been run over my seat by my seat. Like, 10 times. I mean, it was completely unsmokable, mm-hmm. completely unusable, but yet for seven years, I have to go through secondary inspection every time I cross the border. The PTSD and the stress that is involved in that is absolute flipping hell. I got pulled over secondary. I used to have to drive through Buffalo to get to Quebec. I, would, I lived in uh, north of Montreal on St. Adele, a small little town. It was, uh, I got pulled over because I have a daughter and it's an international thing. She had a Spanish passport. I got an American passport. We're going to Canada. And whenever a child's involved, they always do secondary things just to make sure everybody's, they separate us, ask us questions, everything coordinated. We left. And, but another time we were coming back, I had a dog and, and they had to make sure I had all the dog papers for the dog, make sure the dog, and it, I didn't have any weed on me, but, uh, it's very easy, like you said, to misplace something. And uh, I accidentally flew to Spain with a with an eighth of weed in my pocket here. I didn't know it was there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's very easy. So that's something you got to very be very you, careful with. Yes, yes. It was a horrible PTSD provoking experience. And I've had two other encounters that were just horrible um, besides that original dog incident where I had to surrender my phone. They went through my whole phone. They went through my text messages, my browser history. And I felt so criminal-like. I felt so, I'm like, I'm a medical patient. I feel like I'm being discriminated against. And then that was not the right thing to say to this particular officer. She like went off on me. You want my supervisor's name? You want to report me? You're not being discriminated against. You tried to smuggle 
cannabis into i'm like it came from your country <laughs> it didn't even make sense and i mean was it wrong yes 100 i'm not suggesting what i did was correct but it has the struggles you go through being a cannabis consumer, consumer. yeah or 100%. medicine yeah I've, I've had to go through it my whole life um and uh yeah like um going through the um caregivership like i said you can keep the genetics you want um it needs to be expanded somehow uh here's pretty good i can have 24 plants my roommate can have 24 plants but it oh. just it depends on on the municipality where you can okay. grow so if you listen to the last podcast it's all about getting to your local politics i know you uh used to be a political advocate when you first started and it's it probably was draining because you're not making any treadway and you don't have millions of dollars to throw in their pocket to to make them open their ears up um but local politics uh running for local politics the town councils on a small level you can have a town ordinance that the local sheriff can back up you know on a county level and uh right. that's that's the way to go we start small and get into local politics, change the local politics. I know in West Virginia, they have the medical and they say that each county can't change the law in each town like that. So that's the first law they need to change theirs. So in certain, certain towns, if they need, want it, they can change it and locals can, can uh, thrive off of it or make a living off of it or support the local economy, go straight to the market. Right. bypass the dispensary um the uh, social equity is a big thing too um i heard you mention it on one legacy you know what a legacy grower is mm -hmm. and uh they know their stuff and they can already be a hundred steps ahead of some of these companies with big money coming in hey we're gonna grow we uh we can make money off of it you gotta multi-tier it you got thousands of plants and then the quality goes down on that that's when you get your molds in here there's um Something here. I just got a message from a friend. It says that uh, one of the main, very uh, popular companies here got a mold, a health and safety advisory for Veritas fine cannabis. They had three different batches or more that were contaminated with molds. Hmm. That's and, uh, scary. Yep, and they're you know, one. I mean, as medical patients, especially if you have lung a lung condition, I mean, have smoke mold is not cool. No, I think that um, smoking bad weed as a as a kid and as a teenager in my twenties really hurt my lungs. Is I had uh, actually was in Colorado when it legalized. I went back east, and then I had to get some illegally there, and they were like, "Yeah, source from Colorado, it's great." I got it, and it burned my lungs. And I got, I got bronchitis again. So wow. smoking bad weed can trigger bronchitis, but smoking Absolutely. good weed can help heal it. Yes. If in low dosages, vaping is a good way. You like to vape, right? If some people really can't don't. smoke. <laughs> I really am not a vapor. I only I'm not do either. It, I do it only as a necessity when I'm out in public. Discreet. Um, it really doesn't help the way smoking a joint does. Um, 
I find it exits my system just as fast as it comes in with a vape. And I don't understand necessarily why or the bioavailability. It's, in theory, it shouldn't be any different. But I know lots of people that say even dry herb vaporizers don't get them the same level of medication. No, that it doesn't mean either. Uh, so, I know a really good live rosin cartridge. If you get a really good live rosin cartridge it, and when you inhale and exhale, it tastes like cannabis. It like It tastes like whole plant medicine mm -hmm. those do help especially but then they're not discreet the whole yeah. reason that you want to try to use it is discreet right. but when you exhale it smells just like cannabis so man i could just smoke the joint or the pole it would do right. the same thing all right right um nikki and the plant's whole mission is to educate and empower other patients and so what i'm trying to do is really create a a road show, if you will, of education and hands-on learning with, you know, talking about the terpenes, talking about the flavonoids, talking about the minor cannabinoids and the health benefits and helping people feel less scared about consumption. And that's really what I preach, whether it's to doctors, to nurses, to, you know, the everyday grandma down the street, you know, we need to normalize the conversation. And that's really what I find empowering about my whole brain injury. I feel like I went through it all to help someone else get through their journey. Because if I hadn't been hurt, I never would have understood this plant. I never would have understood this amazing community that I had no idea even existed. And the plant has empowered me. The plant has given me hope when I had none. So I was, um, I think, since I've been 18, I always bring it up in conversations and that's what whew, I've been smoking for 30 years now. So for 20, some 30 plus years, you get into a conversation and you start talking about weed and people don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. Now people are asking, oh, well, their ears are opening up because of these stories. And it's uh, becoming a little, especially after COVID, I think COVID gave people time enough out of their hectic lives and craziness to sit down and to really think and look back at what is happening and uh, what they're putting in their bodies and what they have access to. And are they going to eat more food? Is the alcohol helping them? And a lot of, a lot more people tried cannabis for their first time and had good experiences. Right. And they didn't know because prior to that, no one wanted the stigma. You know, cannabis was use was deemed essential, like dispensaries were deemed essential, required to be open mm -hmm. uh, in New York State. And that was a big deal. Here in, um, in Colorado, too. I'm part of the Courage and Cannabis uh, book, which is an anthology of stories about people's lives that have been changed with cannabis and volume one is already out and I'm part of volume two and I'll be sharing my story in that to try and empower other people and try and help them be their own advocate and how to talk about cannabis in a way that isn't scary and really break it down in a simplistic way. And that's what my whole mission is, is to educate and empower. Yeah, I know going back to home and uh, talking to people and even having a friend of mine have a bad experience. Um, one of the big issues is even a religious issue too. Some of them 
think that they're going to be bad Christians if they if they try cannabis. That's how embedded it is into their brain oh, that yeah. it's a demonized yes. uh, thing, you know. And they'll Double sit be smoking a cigarette and alcohol, but oh man, God's going to think bad of me, or or their parents or their grandparents or somebody like they re really respect is going to come across them and they're high. They're going to freak out. Oh, he knows I'm high. They know I'm high. What are they going to think of me? They're going to think less of me. And it's, it's really a big, big, big issue. It really is. And so we have to talk about it. That's why I do these podcasts. That's why I share my story on so many platforms. You know, maybe I can't change the world for everyone, but I might be able to change the world for one person. And if do, I do you do, do that, topics, do you do topicals? Um, not really. No, no. Do you I've have an issue with those? Um, with the, uh, cons uh, absorption, I'm sorry. No, um, topicals are very much a surface absorption. Transdermals mm -hmm. will get in the bloodstream, but again, finding the right products. And quite honestly, I found them very mm -hmm. expensive for the benefit that they give me. Um, I'm not saying that's a bad choice for others because there's a reason they exist. You know, they help people. So, mm -hmm. you know, having rapid onset dosing for me is what is key. And when I find the right products, I just want to gobble them up. You know, I go to California and I found so many great products and I want to come back to Colorado, quite honestly, as soon as possible, because you guys have it really going on. Um, I have some friends that are creating a consumption lounge called the the Sirius Social Club, Sirius Social Club, C-I-R-R-U-S Social Club. Mm -hmm. And this guy is like cool as hell and like really trying to do it right. And I went to this exclusive event in Las Vegas for MJ BizCon and I was part of his brunch. And I mean, he's really doing it right. You know, nice. really great guy. Guy's name's Aaron Richard. So if you're not friends with him, check him out because him he's really, really doing stuff right. If you Colorado. do come to Denver, come and uh, give me a little heads up and we can meet up and I'll take yeah. you to another private consumption lounge where they have the, the cannabis cup and a, real, a lot of really nice people. We just had a a, a bongathon event slash deathathon. There's a large uh, deaf community here that consumes and they're part of that too. And really a fundraiser for them that last, uh, last week. And That's we're, cool. Yeah, it's a really cool community. Um, so you're more than welcome to come visit us. And it, if you're in town, that'd be awesome. And yeah. uh, I'd like what you were saying earlier there before I cut you off, if you could save one person or help one person and I cut you off. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. If I can, I can't save the world, but if I can save the world for one person, then I've done a good job today. And that's yeah. what I'm all about is just trying to empower other people because people don't know what they don't know. As a nurse, I didn't know. And yep. so if I can educate other providers and health, other healthcare providers to listen to their patient or spend a few minutes with them understanding how they're using cannabis with intention, it might just completely change their relationship with their physician. And mm -hmm. everybody's afraid to tell their doctor. And 
there are drug to drug interactions that cannabis is not recommended for. You know, if you're on blood thinners, you should not be having too much CBD. There's definite contraindications. And uh, can CBD increase or um, work as a blood thinner, I believe. Right. It, and if you it, take two it, of them it together, the effects of the blood thinner medicine. So um, it's actually that, like, um, oh, shoot, what's um, sometimes I could help with swelling and just keep the blood from flowing and stopping in one one area. Right. Right. Uh, there's just a lot to the plant and we need to empower others to learn about it and do so in a way with credible, real facts and information, not just what we think or what we feel, but actually, you know, there's a book out there, it's called The Medical Cannabis Primer. One of the, my favorite books ever is by Dr. Ruth Fisher. And it's broken out in such an amazing way. It talks about, you know, it's got pictures and teaches you about all the different components of the plant. This book was the first book I was able to read since my brain injury. And so it really helped connect those dots for the cannabis and why it was working for my brain injury. Um, and then journaling that experience and understanding what works and why. You know, there's lots of digital apps out there, but honestly, log that stuff on with a pad and paper, mm -hmm. you know, and try and learn as much as you can about what the components are in that plant and then document what you're treating and why. So knowing what symptoms you're treating, not just that I have a brain injury, but the cognitive function, the anxiety, depression, the chronic pain, those are the three things I'm treating. So when you're using with intention, it's a lot easier to determine what works and why. Yeah. And uh, I like the idea of keeping the journal. I don't know if you've ever heard of the girls over at Smoking Science and Maya B. PhD, Riley, and uh, and they have a little crew and they are PhDs. One's a neuroscientist and she explains how CBD affects your brain and the other one's a plant scientist. And uh, she talks about making tinctures and topicals and all this stuff, but they, they talk about keeping a log of what helps them, what doesn't their dosage. And, uh, they also talk about psilocybin and mushrooms too, which are legal where they're at and legal here. And I know for a fact that small micro doses, I don't like to take enough to feel the effects of the mushrooms, but on small micro doses, they really do help anxiety, alcoholism, uh, people with PTSD and yeah, pain injuries. Amazing, amazing research being done with TBI and psychedelics. Yep. And um, unfortunately for me, I'm allergic to any kind of fungi. So mm. it makes me not a candidate for psychedelics other than like MDMA or something like that. But mm -hmm. I'd love to be enrolled in a trial to see if, you know, MDMA potentially could help me. Yeah, um, they have MDMA. There's MDA. I've just enlightened on a couple of different ones here in Colorado. There's a big, long list of um, things included in the psychedelic bill that they passed. Okay. And uh, Colorado is so progressive. And uh, it's a good thing. It's... um. Showing, I think a lot more states could learn from our system. It's not perfect here, but it could be learned from and avoid what hasn't worked and Absolutely. focus on what has worked and evolve from that. Absolutely. And again, 
there's so much stigma surrounding it. We just have to normalize that conversation. Yeah, and- especially with doctors. Um, my my biggest feat was changing my little sister's mind. She's a pediatrician. She's three years younger than me, and she went to med school, this and that, that, and um, she has finally come up come open to it in the last 10 years after 30 or 20 years before that of telling her, Hey, it's medicinal. It's medicinal. No, right, it's not. Right. No, it's, medicinal. it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she's tried CBD for her pain and sleep and it does work for her. And now she's like, you need to go to Colorado and learn as much as you can. And uh, this is one reason I've started the podcast just to educate and help other people share their stories like yourself and uh, save one person at a time. One person at a time. I really appreciate your time today and for having me as a guest. And if anyone wants to learn more, you can reach me at NikkiAndThePlant.org or follow me on any social media platform, uh, Nikki and the Plants spelled out or Nikki Lolly. Awesome. I highly thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. Uh, I do have seeds available on my website that uh, can be specific to a lot of these terpene profiles that you're, you have talked about and we spoke about. And I, one of my goals is just to get them out there cheaply to people who want to experiment and growing and uh, become caregivers wherever it's legal to grow your own. So if you know anybody uh, need any help, questions uh on cultivating them also that's what i'm trying to do and specialize in as little farmer and so at littlefarmer.com you can check out some seeds send anybody over if they need any help or any consultation send them my way and you have a great day thank you for taking the time out of your long and busy day to to spread the word thank you thank you thanks for tuning in everyone and Enjoy your beautiful day and we'll be back next week. Enjoy. Peace. Coming April 1st and 2nd, Little Farmer will be down at the SLV Seed Exchange. That's the San Luis Valley Seed Exchange that will be held at the Joyful Journey Hot Springs down near Moffitt, Colorado. There's going to be a lot of seed dealers down there. A lot of vegetables, herbs, flowers, anything you can think of. But the main thing is going to be the knowledge spread by all the people that are attending. So if you haven't seen it, heard about it, you can inquire. Let me know. I'll give you more information. If you're following me on Instagram, you'll find it. I'll have all the seeds that are available on my website, littlefarmer.com, and some freebies. So every purchase is going to get freebies from tester seeds. Hope to see you there. I want one.